called The Apprentice. And it is looking at Jesus' life and how he called and still calls ordinary people like us uh, today. And so we're invited to come and follow him into the extraordinary life that he has set up for us. So just a wee reminder about the teaching of the series. It's around three core themes. So being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. Um, and in the last few weeks, Paul kind of began the conversation around becoming like Jesus. And he said, becoming like Jesus is a lifetime pursuit. And that is so helpful. And it really helps us today. So we can all relax because so far, none of us have made it. <laughs> Definitely not. It takes time. And the becoming, <coughs> the becoming part is a process. So we're all of us who claim to follow Jesus or somewhere along the journey. So even if we don't know Jesus here this morning, it's definitely worth us noting that all of us are continually being transformed into something. And I know they've talked a bit about this already. We are being formed. And so this morning, if we're not becoming more like Jesus, then we're becoming more like someone or something else. So it's worth noting. Uh, and Paul touched on a few things um, in last week, um, things that we can become. So um, we can become what our story defines us, um, we can become the habits that we form, so what we give our attention to. And we can become the people that we spend time with. So it's very important to sort of look at the relationships that we keep. And Paul spent last Sunday camping on the sort of story part and how that story that we grew up with, so what happened to us in our years growing up, in our formative years, that those can determine the way that we think, the way in which we behave, and the ways in which we live our lives now. And getting to know ourselves is a massive part of the journey that we're on with Jesus. The better we get to know ourselves, the easier it is to follow him, <clears throat> believe you me. <coughs> I'm sorry. So what we're gonna look at today touches on both of the other areas, so the habits that we form, um, and the people that we spend time with. And the relationships that we keep with others are so very important in our apprenticeship with Jesus because we don't follow him on our own. We don't do life on our own, as has been said many times. Paul began to bring this into the series a few weeks ago. And in the vineyard, as many of you will know, we place a high value on relationships. Um, and that has been taught many, many times from the front here. And we really need each other. And when we're talking about discipleship, it is a massive part of it. It's a massive part of um, our journey to becoming more like Jesus because uh, we, we're not on our own. And so the people that we hang around with, the people that we journey with, all of that is extremely important. We really need each other. And so much of apprenticeship with Jesus is developing practice rather than keeping habit. And so I wonder this morning, have we ever considered this with friendship? Developing practice rather than keeping habit. Do we see friends merely in the habit of the context of our community, whether that be in church or social or perhaps in a work context, or do we consider close friendships as formational to who we are becoming? So like, do we actually approach friendship in the Jesus way? And that's what we're gonna talk about for a few minutes today. We're gonna to look at Jesus as our example about how we as the apprentices who want to become more like Jesus can practice friendship. Okay, so we're going to get stuck in, and we're just going to look at one passage of the Bible, and we're just going to take some uh, messages away from that. So I'm reading from the message today, and it's Mark chapter 6, and we're reading from verses 30 to 46. 
The apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all that they had done and taught. Jesus said, come off by yourselves, let's get a break and get a little rest. For there was constant coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. So they got in the boat and went off to a remote place by themselves. Someone saw them going and the word got around. From the surrounding towns, people went out on foot, running and got there ahead of them. When Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd and at the sight of them, his heart broke. Like sheep with no shepherd they were. He went right to work teaching them. When his disciples thought this had gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day, they interrupted. We are a long way out in the country and it's very late. Pronounce a benediction and send these folks off so they can get some supper. But Jesus said, you do it. Fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? You want us to go and spend a fortune on food for their supper? But he was quite serious. How many loaves of bread do you have? Take an inventory. That did not take long. Five, they said, plus two fish. Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100. They looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to his disciples. And the disciples in turn gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish. They all ate their fill. The disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. More than 5,000 were at the supper. As soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead across to Bethsaida while he dismissed the congregation. After sending them off, he climbed a mountain to pray. Okay, so probably a passage that you're all quite familiar with in many ways. And I absolutely love this story of the five loaves. Thank you, Jackie. That's better. Uh, I really love the story of the five loaves and two fishes. Um, and so much of it is often taught from the disciples' point of view. Um, and also from the miraculous element, of course, both of which are very important. But what we can also learn from this passage is how Jesus practiced friendship. Um, and there's some really lovely things that we can look at today. And I think one of the biggest challenges in the room um, that many of us will face um, with our close friends is opportunities to actually spend quality time. Isn't that just the truth? Um, quite often, maybe if you are work in some different professions, like in my work we have this concept called protected time. Uh, now, it's supposed to mean um, that within a person's contract they have a certain number of hours maybe to... Um, do a certain amount of training or they have a certain amount of hours to do learning um, or they have a certain amount of hours to do a certain project or a task um, you know and those the whole idea is that those hours cannot be used for other work and I was thinking flip me as an apprentice of Jesus wouldn't it be amazing if amongst everything else that we're doing with our time if we could have protected hours to enjoy our friendships together wouldn't that just be so good like a breath of fresh air it would be so healthy and I think we're just all too familiar with the B word this morning, which is busy, because we just, we, I think we're so, we like that, don't we? You know, I'm busy, we're busy, you know, we're so busy. Um, I'm probably guilty of using this word most weeks, uh, and it's something that I find myself saying all of the time, and then when I've said it, I'm like, oh, it's so annoying to, to keep talking about how busy we are. I think we spend a lot of time being busy talking about how busy we all are. Isn't that right? 
I'm just hope Philip doesn't mind, but um, haven't seen each other as much as we would like to recently. But I was doing a little bit of shopping in Belly Noor on uh, grocery shopping on Friday, and Philippa was coming down, and we both had arms out, just automatically, big bear hug in the middle of the street in Belly Noor on Friday, and it was just lovely. So sometimes in the busyness, we do get to have those moments, don't we, which are so lovely. And in some seasons, it might feel easier to practice friendship. But more often than not in our lives, they're just so full. And we, what we begin to find is that we make less and less room as we get caught up with all our own stuff. And if there was ever an example of someone with a full life, it is demonstrated from this passage from Mark's Gospel. So just some context, up to this time, the, Jesus and the disciples had been out teaching, they had been healing, they had been going from town to town. So I think it's okay to say that they had actually been really busy. Um, and in verse 30 at the beginning, Jesus knows his friends, the disciples, you know, he knows that what they've been doing. He knows that they're kind of filled to capacity. He knows they have been ministering to the needy. So he encourages them to take some time out and rest. Let's take a break, Jesus says. Isn't that so important? Isn't that so lovely? And in verse 32, it says, for there was constant coming and going. They did not have time to eat. Constant. So it was actually constant. They didn't stop. There was comings and goings and lots of things going on. And so as we read the passage, we can see that Jesus was acutely aware of the needs of his friends despite the busyness of his own life, his own ministry. And he intentionally attempts to make space for them to rest. And we read that they got into the boat to travel to the remote place. But someone, it says someone, one person saw them. And amazingly, in those days, without the use of mobile technology or social media, the word got round very quickly that Jesus was moving on to a new place. And from surrounding towns, they came and they came in their hundreds and totaled many thousand, as we know from the passage. In fact, the word traveled around so fast that people actually arrived there before Jesus got there. Verse 33 says, From the surrounding towns, people went out on foot, running and got there ahead of them. When Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd. Well, when I was reading this, I was so struck by the lengths that people went to to pursue the presence of Jesus. And I think it's worth saying again, and it probably has been said already, that as we walk this journey of becoming like Jesus, we must be pursuers of his presence. In his presence, we encounter him, who he is, and we begin to change ourselves to become more like him. You know, in the practice of friendship, do we actively encourage our friends to pursue Jesus' presence? Is it something we actually talk about? You know, we talk probably a lot about, oh, you come to church, but do we talk about pursuing his presence with our friends? And in verse 35, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had immediate compassion on them. I love the message translation. At the sight of them, his heart broke. Like sheep with no shepherd they were he went right to work teaching them. So Jesus, he wanted to give his friends rest, and that's good, but also in that context, he went right to work teaching them. You see, Jesus never missed an opportunity to teach the wondrous things of the kingdom of God to his friends. I love um, verse 37. Jesus says, you do it. You fix supper for them. And maybe we're thinking, well, that's not really, give, that's not Jesus giving his friends rest. He's given them a command. 
And at this point, the disciples were, they were absolutely happy to just let Jesus call it a day, finish things up. You do the benediction. This was Jesus. You know, do you ever, are you ever in a room? Um, we, we tend to do this in our family. I don't know why. But if there's somebody there that's a minister or they're a leader, you, you ask them to pray for or say grace or whatever it is. We seem to do this still in our family. And I don't mean with Andy and I, I mean with the actual reverence that are in our family. Um, um, you know, I think it's just, and I've grown up with that sort of, we need to say grace or we need, oh, let's, who, 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 who's qualified to pray. Um, and I think even the disciples were here, were like, oh, Jesus, you're here, pronounce the benediction. Uh, you know, they just wanted to call it a day. And we know what happened, of course. 5,000 people are fed and there is loads left over from the lunch. And I know I think I've said this from the front here before, but it is definitely worth a reminder that Jesus could have performed this miracle some other way. He could have, like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat, that's how he could have produced the food. Um, he did not have to include the disciples in this at all. In fact, the Jesus, you could see from the way the disciples are talking, they didn't think they were included. They weren't expecting to be included in part of it. Um, you know, he could have just clicked his fingers and the food would have appeared. Um, he could have ordered in or whatever. You know, he could have done all these other sorts of things, but he didn't. He didn't. He said, you, you do it. You get the supper. You go and find food for them. And I think when I read this, you know, the disciples were, were so tired and Jesus was so aware of that. But he didn't want it to be a one-man show. And that's discipleship is not a one-man show. He, he, did, you know, he didn't neglect them. He didn't allow them to just sit um, down and, you know, cross their arms, you know, just sit down and watch Jesus perform in a miracle. Um, he didn't let them sit at the sidelines. And Jesus let them participate in what the Father was doing. And that is so important. And part of practicing friendship the Jesus way surely must be <clears throat> including our friends in the marvelous things that God is doing in our lives, whether they know Jesus personally or not. So I wonder what we think about that this morning. When we learn something new that the Father has for us, so when we are blessed by church or during worship or when God speaks to us through his word, Maybe we've got a new book and, you know, it's really encouraging us to get stuck into certain passages of the Bible. Um, maybe we've had a word of encouragement from a friend. We've been at a conference and something amazing has happened or whatever. Whatever of these things, do we phone a friend and share it with them? Do we buy them a coffee and say, do you know what, I want to tell you about what's been shared with me this week because it has been so helpful. Do we send a text message that says something like this? Wait till you hear what God's been doing. Wait till you hear what God's been doing in my church. Wait till you hear what God's been doing through me. I can't wait to encourage you with this information. And do we tell our friends about Carrick Vineyard and everything that God's been doing here? Do we tell our friends about this church family that serves one another so well during the good times and the not good times? Or do we just keep what God is doing to ourselves? Do we write it? in a journal or you know do we just say oh that was great wasn't it thanks God you know do we actually share the things that God is teaching us do our friends miss out on a blessing because we just don't have enough opportunities to practice sharing the God stuff with them and like what Jesus was doing do we include our friends do we say look do you want to come to this thing with me tonight <coughs> I've read this book, it's brilliant, I'm going to give it to you. 
I know you don't have loads of time, but actually, when you've read it, give me a shout because I'd love to chat to you about some of the chapters and some of the things that God's been saying to me. And there's a lovely verse, uh, John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants, and this is Jesus speaking, because a, Jesus, a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And I really just love that. It's such a beautiful verse. When we discover something of the Lord, do we make it a priority to make it known to our friends? Sometimes I think in Northern Ireland, we're not good at talking about ourselves. And so we tend to move that into that category of, oh, so-and-so, oh, they don't really want to know what I'm doing or they don't want to know what's going on in my life. I don't want to be talking about myself. But actually our friends can miss so much. This, this, if we're on this journey of discipleship, we're trying to get over here closer to Jesus from where we started off. And we want to be sharing those things with each other. And sometimes what God is doing in our life can really impact someone. And it might not be someone um, that you would necessarily think of. And then sometimes we think, oh, we know each other so well, we don't want to be talking about each other. But we're not. We're talking about the Lord and we're talking about what the Lord is doing. And also in this passage, we can see Jesus provided for his friends, his, their physical needs. Out of the miracle, we read that the disciples who were indeed so hungry, like they had wanted this to end hours ago, like they were looking for food, um, but they also received the blessing of sustenance. They were completely filled up and there was loads left over as we know. And one thing is for sure, you don't need to tell me here at Carrick Vineyard um, that it's a good thing to feed your friends. And I know you guys are just awesome at um, looking after people with food. So, um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes it's just lovely to make a meal for our friends, you know, just come on over. We've got, you know, got the oven on, chicken nuggets or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, blessing people with food is a really important part of our culture um, and it's something as a church as well that we really do so well. And I'm sure at this stage uh, in the passage that we've read, the disciples were finding it all a bit overwhelming. The pressure and the demand of the people who were in pursuit of Jesus, following them from place to place. It was like a real life army of stalkers and it probably felt very like that. They were watching every move that Jesus made. They had their ear to the ground. Where's Jesus going next? Where are the disciples going? Where do we need to be? Like, where do we need to be to sit at Jesus' feet? It's absolutely lovely um, visual, isn't it, of how we should be in relationship with Jesus. So as their friend, Jesus took care of the situation at hand and he, he let them go on at this point. And in verse 45, it says this, as soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead across to Bethsaida while he dismissed the congregation. Jesus insisted and he let his friends go on while he finished up. He knew that they were full to capacity and they were full of people. And you'll know here, if you're an introvert, if you're not a peopley person, it can be pretty exhausting um, being around people all the time. If any of you were at the Legacy Conference, Jordan saying one of the speakers was quite clear saying to us that he was going to be pretty tired after the conference because of the overwhelming amount of people and that he finds that really, really tiring. And some of us are like that, so I think it's completely okay. Uh, and the disciples possibly were very used to big crowds, but they were tired and they were tired of people and Jesus knew that they needed rest. Um, you know, Jesus spent 
quality time with his friends. So he knew, you know, he knew, absolutely knew what they needed. But one of the key things here is Jesus did not compromise on his own needs in making sure that his friends were met. In verse 46, we can see that Jesus pursued prayer under pressure. After sending them off, he climbed a mountain to pray. You know, this was more than busyness. This was a really pressurized environment. And I know many of you here probably um, work in jobs that are, feel pressurized. And even sometimes if you're at home with the kids, that can be a really pressurized environment, can't it? You just want to open the back door at times and just let out some of the, you know, um, the sort of the busyness and the, 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 the volume that kids can make can be really overwhelming. Um, and so much of the Bible does point us to prayer um, in times of pressure when we encourage, uh, encounter those. And sometimes in our lives, we just end up with really seasons of just pressure, 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 where it's constant. And I, I don't know, I still use a paper diary. Um, I don't trust technology. Once, now it was, it was years ago, and it probably wasn't a great phone, but I remember thinking, look at me, everything's in my phone on the diary. And one day I picked it up. It's just not there. <laughs> so I still have my paper diary, but some, I remember a few years ago, oh, I, I, on Sunday nights, I just dreaded getting my bag ready for work and opening my diary and seeing what was coming up Monday to Friday. I don't do that anymore. So maybe I'm not that well prepared, but I just don't, I don't open my diary on a Sunday night at all anymore. I just wait till Monday. Um, and actually that's really helping me. Um, but sometimes our lives are like mega packed with stuff. And you just look, you're, you're at Sunday night and you're thinking, how am I actually going to get through to the weekend? I just don't know. And sometimes um, we can't help that and things are busy, but sometimes we're just not very good. Sure, we're not a prioritizing, we're not very good about pacing ourselves and about making space. I'm just going to read another little bit of the Bible. Um, this is a small portion from Isaiah 40. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts, for even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Jesus prioritized prayer in the busyness of his life. He went to his father. I was listening to last week's talk, and Paul, if you were here, was talking about David's life. My goodness, he packed in a lot into his life. The list of pressures that Paul read out that he faced um, in, his, in David's own story were quite literally overwhelming. Yet David overcame his personal story because he pressed into relationship with God. He stayed connected with God, um, as we can see as we go through the Psalms. Funny, I was, Andy and I were talking about this. We know, we think David wrote over about half the Psalms. And now, if there were maybe a blog or Instagram, we'd get the Psalm, but we would also get like a selfie every time of David. So I think it's good that we've kind of missed that out. Um, but... The Psalms are amazing, and we can trace uh, David's journey through those. Um, and he really, well, we can read in the Psalms, he stayed connected to God. God was with him in all the times and all the seasons of his life. 
and prayer and that precious time of connected, connectedness with his father helped Jesus to practice healthy friendship within the pressures that he faced. And despite whatever the circumstances were, Jesus continued to make space for his friends. Much as he was their leader and their teacher, these absolutely were the guys that Jesus did life with. He loved them dearly. And the story of the five loaves and two fishes gives us real food for thought, doesn't it? Not just about the miracle part, which we've heard before, but about the man. Without a doubt, the ultimate example of, G of friendship is Jesus Christ. And in seasons of busyness, either good or bad, it is so helpful and healthy to keep practicing friendship the Jesus way. And sometimes, seasons of busyness, it is our close friendships that often start to lose priority. They can go further and further and further down our to-do lists. And it can be slow and it can be subtle at first, but before we know it, we've kind of stopped making the effort to see how they're really doing, to call in and say hi, have a coffee, go to the football match, arrange a night out or whatever, or a, you know, a quality night in, whatever it might be. And sometimes in life, friendships, some friendships change, and they'll change when the seasons change, and that is okay, that is a normal part of life. But maybe you're thinking, Andrea, I have so many different friends. What you're talking about here this morning is really, it's just not feasible. It's unrealistic, it's unachievable. But um, I remember hearing a talk by Pete Gregg at Causeway Vineyard, uh, now, it was probably about five or six years ago. Um, Pete, if you don't know, is the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, um, but he is also a really good friend and supporter of Vineyard Churches UK and Ireland. And he was talking about how he had realised and reflected that there was once a time in his life where he was so busy with work and all the demands of ministry, and they were good demands, um, that he began to neglect the people in his life that mattered the most. Work was going really well. There was really good, successful growth in the ministry um, and in the ways that Pete was leading and in the, all the different sort of elements that he was involved with. Um, but that growth had led to an increase in pressure. And so these the people he were talking about were the people that he would have seen fairly regularly in the context of his week-to-week -week life. But that over time, he just began to spend less and less time with. And he said he remembered declining coffees of the people that he normally would have hung out and had coffee with. And he had since repented of that. And he said this, who you are called to be with is almost always more important than what you are called to do or where you are called to be. I'm just gonna read that again. Who you are called to be with is almost always more important than what you are called to do or where you are called to be. Now, I remember thinking at the time, hmm, I'm not really sure about that. But over the years, and remember discipleship, it's learning, isn't it? Over the years, I have come to realize that the people you are called to be with are pretty much key to your journey of apprenticeship with Jesus. They will have such an influence on you and how they live and on how you live. And so Jesus models this um, in this passage this morning and it is so critical for us as we journey to become more like him So what we are focusing on this morning is who who are the people you're called to be with? Who is on the journey of discipleship with you? Jesus made room for two main groups of people in his short time 
um, in the short time of his adult life that we, that we read that is documented in the Bible. And so absolutely those who were marginalized, those people who were generally seen as a burden to society, those who were ill, those who had disabilities, tax collectors, prostitutes, and basically anybody who the world kind of saw as a sort of inconvenience, those were the first group of people that Jesus spent a lot of time with. And the second group of people that Jesus spent a lot of his time with were his friends. And we know them, of course, as the disciples. I'm just going to read John 13, 1. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. I just love this. Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed him. But Jesus knew that they were on the journey with him. And so he chose to love them to the end. He didn't have to, but he did. And so today we can choose to guard our closest friendships and practice friendship the Jesus way, especially when we're under pressure. And what does it look like in practice? I could stand here now and give you a list of things, you do coffees, you do this and that, but I think that would just be entirely missing the point. Uh, you know, practicing friendship like Jesus is not a tick box exercise. Um, Pete Gregg described it as serving and preferring one another and the giving of ourselves to each other, which is just lovely. And the verse from Romans 12, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it, run for dear life from evil, hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle, meaning we put our friends first. Preferring one another and giving ourselves to each other is a choice and it will not necessarily come naturally to, to, to many of us here this morning, but we can do it in small ways. When we do it in small ways, our friends succeed. When we do it in small ways, we're helping our friends on their discipleship journeys with Jesus. And when we're talking about those people that are close to us, um, that we encounter fairly regularly in patterns, maybe through work or through church um, or however, the people that we're thinking of right now, then quality must trump quantity on some occasions. If it doesn't, we're just left with quantity. So it might look like we're practicing really healthy friendship, but over time, it's not going to feel like it. There's not going to be a lot of fruit from that friendship. We need to pursue relationship more when we're busy and not less. And remember as well, the enemy will try and prevent us from enjoying one another. Satan hates community. He will sow seeds of things like suspicion, um, envy, and so we need to take our closest friends seriously and not for granted. And remember, and I've said this before, Satan does his absolute best work through Christians. Make no mistake about it. Relationships are his breeding ground. He doesn't want us to be in close relationships. He doesn't want us to practice friendship like Jesus did. He does not want us to become like Jesus. And so he does throw these curveballs in. But if we're pursuing our primary relationships, if we are intentionally practice grace, kindness, commitment, love, and mutual affection, we're going to be better off. And I understand, I know this morning, friendship can be really tough sometimes because we're all human. And often friendships can be frayed or difficult for lots of different reasons. Expectations can be all over the place. <coughs> and sometimes that makes friendships full of disappointment. And also social media is a really unhelpful factor um, in our friendships. 
These days we live in a blame culture, as you know, and we get to decide what our own truths are. And another thing that quite often happens is if there's any kind of conflict, people are really reluctant to work through it. And it's so hard, isn't it? Really reluctant to sit down and have a critical conversation with somebody to try to put things right. And so often, um, we just don't. And so that's why friendships just drift away. Um, because it's much, much less effort to just let that happen than to sit down with someone and try and work out what's gone wrong. It is so good to see something to the other side. Healthy friendships are life-giving. Sometimes the best friendships in your life may be the ones where you have sat down and you've worked something through to the other side because misunderstandings will happen. But when there's a willingness to work through, it's amazing because the goal, the end goal, has been loving one another well throughout. Jesus desires community and relationship for each of us because we were not supposed to be on our own. We really, really need each other. Jesus invites us this morning into a relationship with him so that we, in turn, as his apprentices, can follow him into life-giving friendships with others. Think of Zacchaeus. Before his encounter with Jesus, I'm going to surmise that Zacchaeus did not have any friends. And it's not in the text, but I think we can make the assumption that after this life-changing encounter with Jesus, when he gave away all his possessions to the poor, that he probably, after that, began to experience friendship with others. Um, and that joy of journeying with other people. I love how Paul said last week that as apprentices of Jesus, we should be the ones invading culture. We should be the ones showing people that his ways are the best ways. And the same goes for our friendships and how we love one, one another in those. And so if we want to be friends who love one another deeply, as Paul writes, we must practice prioritizing those whom God has placed on the journey with us. So who has God placed on your journey with you? Are your friendships, are friendships habitual or are they formational? What needs to change? Does the way we practice friendship help us to become more like Jesus?